This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. I'm pleased to introduce Summer Parati and Johnny Marquette as my guests today. They're both seniors in media studies here at Quinnipiac University. We were able to sit down and discuss the intersection of media and justice. I also was able to gain their perspectives on how this has impacted their environments. It was really wonderful to have this conversation with us here at Fluid Truth. This is Fluid Truth. I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. I am so excited about my guest today. I have Miss Summer Parati. She's a senior right here at Quinnipiac with a major in media studies and minor in criminal justice. Am I correct? Yep. Fabulous. And I have my producer, Mr. Johnny Marquette. He is here to speak with us too. He is majoring in media studies and minor in film, also a senior right here at QU. Thank you so much for having me officially. It is very nice to have you on this side of the mic. Absolutely. So I have you guys both here. And you know I like to talk about equity in the justice system. Right. And a lot of times that's informed by experiences, by perspectives. And I want to hear about both of yours because it kind of gives this different dynamic when we have these larger conversations across ages, across um, professions. You know, we get a chance to kind of pull in each other's perspectives. Absolutely. So before we get there, tell me a little bit about yourselves. Sure. Um, I grew up in Western Connecticut uh, my entire life. Um, I came here at Quinnipiac uh, as a freshman. I've been studying media for four years. Um, I'm really passionate about criminal justice reform, uh, political science, as well as music and popular culture. Um, I have a brother. He's in the Air Force. Um, that's that's really about it. I have four cats. That's a great highlight I like to mention about myself. Noted, noted. We'll get their names before we walk away from each other today. What about you, Johnny? All right. Uh, my name is Johnny Marquardt. I am from Sellington, Connecticut. My family is actually from Meriden, but I have two sisters. I am, as you said, a media studies major with a minor in film. I am involved in the Quinnipiac radio station, WQAQ. Uh, I'm involved in the television station, Q30, and as well as part of the internship here for the podcast studio. Fabulous. Glad to have you both. So we're going to jump in with both feet. So tell me about your perspectives on equity in the justice system. But again, when I ask this question, I prefer not to get a yes or no answer because that could be a really stagnant and closed response. I'd prefer to hear about what kind of brought you to this point of your interest in criminal justice and media studies. We're going to get to both of those. But let's just start with why are you interested in criminal justice? Right. So after giving it some thought, I realized I basically have been around the topic of criminal justice my entire life, as my mom is really into true crime, um, forensic analysis, things along those lines. And she always envisioned me sort of going into criminal justice. Um, But I've always been interested in politics and human rights um, advocacy. That's always been a passion of mine since I was really young. So when I started... um, you know, deciding what I was going to study in college, I really wanted to combine my interests of advocacy and politics. And I eventually realized that criminal justice um, kind of intersects those things perfectly. Um, 
specifically after I heard about the Khalif Browder story um, in my freshman class, American Government, it really inspired me that there's serious work that needs to be done on the criminal justice system. Um, And I wound up declaring the minor shortly thereafter. And I've been really enjoying it ever since. For anyone who's not familiar, can you kind of catch us up to Khalif Broder and what his story was? Just encapsulate it quickly. Right. Um, I can't exactly remember which year it was, but uh, Khalif Browder was basically a 16-year-old black male in New York, and he was accused of stealing a backpack after walking home from a party one night, and he was arrested. And he basically spent, I I believe it was almost two years in solitary confinement on Rikers Island because of stealing a backpack when he never faced trial. And he ultimately wound up committing suicide um, after that because of the harsh conditions that he faced while on Rikers Island. And I believe that case ultimately led to the announcement of Rikers Island being closed and closing, um, I believe, very soon. So yeah, that that case really spoke to me personally and it's something I always go back to when I try to remind myself why I got into this in the first place. Yeah, that's a really popular, it's a very sad story, but very popular account. And um, I know that not only his story, but it had been expanded to a series and it, you know, you can watch, um, I believe it's um, on Netflix or something similar. I believe it's it's called Time. Called Time, good note for that. And now in hearing this type of um, this recollection, it's not our firsthand experience, but it's someone else's. How does that move you? Right, yeah. So I think most of my passions revolve around interpersonal learning, right? I learn best when I'm listening to the stories of others and the experiences of others. So while I have had some extended family involved with the criminal justice system, and that's affected me in certain ways, it almost affects me more to see specifically marginalized groups being affected by the criminal justice system because my privilege gives me the opportunity to speak about those issues in a way that can actually cause impact. You made a great point. And I do want to talk about how you guys feel you're able to inform the conversation, if it's from a perspective of privilege or other, or if it's just interest. Um, And in doing so, tell me how you even get to this point where you're incorporating your interest of media with criminal justice. How did you get to that point? Right. So it actually started, um, I believe, the first class I took, uh, one of the first classes I took um, in the Department of Criminal Justice was um, crime and media. And it sort of intersects that personally, uh, specifically how crime is perceived in media and how it influences the public to think about crime. Um, I actually did my, what is it called, the FYS project, um, talking about the desens- desensitization, desens- I don't know how to say that. Desensitization? Yes. How media desensitizes um, people from crime and violence. Um, because I always thought that was an interesting topic of how crime and media intersect and sort of how a lot of these really popular crime shows make people think about crime or people who commit crime. And to me, I think that's a very interesting way to use media because as a media studies major, you know, everyone has different purposes in which they use their media for or what they intend to use media for in their profession. And you can use that for a lot of, you know, whether that be celebrity culture or something sort of subjective. But since I am very passionate about human rights and reform work, 
I wanted to be able to use my knowledge of media in a way that's actually progressive and does something productive for the world. I love that. Now, Johnny, jump in on, on this one. So considering media studies, how are you able to use that to expand your reach and expand your voice for what you're intending to do? I think the beauty of media studies is the fact that it's teaching us how to use our voice to get the word out on a lot of big topics today and especially in a class like summer and iron right now where the project is to use a platform to speak your mind on any topic you want for you can choose a blog you can choose a, a vlog you can choose a a podcast like we're doing right now so it really helps us realize that everyone has a voice for example, like Johnny and I are currently creating a podcast about music, but I made the point that I'd really like for us to connect music to larger societal issues, right? So for example, we're going to be addressing mental health and its connection to hip hop, um, as well as what it does for advocacy and activism, uh, certain aspects of that. So you can really connect any topic that you're passionate about to a large, larger social issue. And I think really media allows us to communicate that to a larger group of public that otherwise we would not have the opportunity or means to. I'm with you on that. And the opportunity to have a platform and to be able to speak and be able to project your voice and your voice in the global sense, right, to project right. your voice. I think that's it, that's so significant and that's necessary. So going back, you kind of just reminded me how we can talk about privilege or interest or whatever you would call it. How are you able to use what you have, which is both privilege and a platform to kind of inform some of these issues? Well, for starters, I mean, I think about it like I'm not in prison, right? I'm not directly impacted by the system right now. And the people in prison can't speak about these issues because they have no means to. So who's going to speak for them if not somebody like me? And I, I think that's really a point in which, you know, a lot of people might ask, like, why do you even care? But the reality is these people don't have any way to communicate what's happening to them or what they're witnessing in the system. And I think it's really important for people who have the opportunity and have the means to, you know, shed light on these issues, do it. Because if not, then it's going to continue. It's an endless cycle right now. So I think it's really important for people like us to speak on them. What do you think, Johnny? I absolutely agree with Summer and what she's saying. I think it's very important that people who have a have the opportunity to speak should focus on that and help others who don't have that voice, and not just for people in prison, but for uh, groups that aren't as privileged. And I think you also break up a good point. And um, when I think about when I think about the context of being able to have these discussions. A lot of times we're having these discussions, one, because we're able, we're in positions where we're actually able to physically gather the way that we are right now, and we're able to kind of um, highlight issues that otherwise might not be spoken about in circles like ours, that might not be engaged in in circles like ours. So I do agree with you, Johnny, and I like how you, you phrased that actually. Now my next thought is, when you come from um, varying backgrounds, because again, we're all so diverse, we don't have to come from the same background yep. to have experienced or to have seen or to have gained perspective. When you come from your backgrounds, what do you suggest has informed your interest both to do 
the work you're doing now, to work on the podcast as you're working on it now, and to just be able to expand your platform and your voice. What from your background has informed this? I think partially part of my background is I grew up in New Fairfield, Connecticut, and out of complete honesty, it's a very privileged area. And I've recognized that from a very young age, partially because I didn't always necessarily get to experience that bubble of privilege, um, specifically in terms of, say, wealth and also sort of like the Christian culture that really surrounds um, the entire Northeast, I'd say. Um, I didn't really get to experience that. So part of me did experience some form of marginalization. So that quickly allowed me to empathize with others who have felt, say, the disenfranchisement from the system of any kind. There's, you know, any institution. And I think um, partially, you know, I've had some extended family that have had some issues with the law, um, specifically in terms of substance abuse. And I think after studying it now, there's a direct correlation between substance abuse and deviance with the law. And I've quickly recognized that a lot of the people that maybe the media or some inner circles might deem as criminals or bad people are people that needed help when they didn't get it or people that are underserved and I've recognized that from a very young age and you know I've even watched my parents watch media that directly stigmatizes people um just for example the first 48 right every single person that walks in there that gets interrogated in that show is black and I've had direct conversations with my parents of you know, do you, do you see what they're doing here? Do you see what this is saying to a person that might not know anything about the criminal justice system or the fact that white people commit the same amount of crime, if not more? And, you know, once you take the time to study these things and read material about these things, you really realize that these are conversations that absolutely, mean, like, are necessary to have. Because if not, then you're going to watch those things and you're going to take in those belief systems and ideologies and claim them as your own and sometimes no fault of your own but these conversations are necessary to have because of those things and I want to hear from you Johnny so as I said before I'm from Sellington but my family's from Meriden and so Sellington is very privileged is very white dominated town and at the same time I also partially grew up in Meriden in the sense that I didn't live there, but my mom was is one of the directors at the Meriden YMCA, and as a kid, if I didn't have school, I was at the Meriden YMCA. And in the summer times, I was at the Meriden YMCA camp. So a big portion of my life was also in Meriden, which is much, much less privileged compared to Sellington. It's very urban compared to Sellington. So I had two very different aspects in my life maybe as, as when I was younger I didn't realize it as much but as I grew older and I even started to work at the YMCA you see the big differences in a town like Sellington and a town like Meriden where on a daily I see homeless people on the streets of Meriden and compared to Sellington where you might see one or two occasionally this, this uh, the town is much quieter but one thing I want to bring up is the fact that a lot of the same stuff in Meriden happens in Sellington crime-wise, but 
it's much more amplified in Meriden compared to Sellington because it's that not stereotypical, but it's very, it's like oh, of course that's happening in Meriden. Of course, right. of course there's drugs. Of course there's robberies. Of course there's shootings. Like it's nobody's surprised that it's Meriden, but nobody talks about what happens in Sellington. There is a a big drug problem in Sellington, and nobody talks about it because it's so white dominated. I feel like, in a way. So that's an amazing point that you guys have just segued to. So talk to me about the role of media in these portrayals. And again, both of you are very well infused in the studies and will be the implementation of how media is rolled out. Talk to me about the media. Right. I mean, I think specifically in the terms of news media, right? Um, For example, recently um, there was a riot at a prison in, I want to say Texas or something like that. There was a riot in a prison because of the lack of COVID sanitation rules that has been going on, right? But what do you see in the news headlines? It's prisoners rioting, breaking windows, starting fires. Okay, but what about the fact that these people are facing a deathly virus with minimal to no sanitation, brutal conditions from COs and fellow prisoners, and things along those lines. And there's no, there's no news stories about the actual issues that are causing prisoners to you know out like lash out there's there's no it's it's a very double-edged sword because i i find issue with the fact that the news media is always centered around like the hegemonic belief of the other the outside world but the prison system is almost never discussed from the perspective of the inside world and you know it's not necessarily media related, but when I did the Inside Out Prison Exchange program, that's the first time that I got to hear the perspective of the inside world in the prison system. And now there's not like now I can never forget that because I saw it firsthand. What's that program? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, the Inside Out Prison Exchange program is a nationwide program um, where students, college students, get the opportunity to take a class inside a prison with prisoners. So there's inside students and there's outside students. I was an outside student as a college student. And then prisoners who are in the college program can also attend the class and take the class with you. And basically part of it is for the outside students to witness the realities of confinement firsthand, but also for all of you to learn together and talk about sort of the criminal justice system and the practices of punishment and which punishment practices work and which don't work um but a lot of it is being able to humanize the prison population um you really get to see that the person next to me who is an inside student is no different from me there's they're there to learn i'm there to learn and it was really probably the most eye-opening situation and experience i've ever ever gotten to have and I'm forever grateful for it. What were some of your takeaways from that program? That sounds like it'd be um, very, very illuminating. Right. Um, some of the takeaways I'd explain would be the fact that you never know somebody, I think. I mean, for example, one morning I would have a conversation with one of the inside students, and he was the most respectful person 
that I've probably ever talked to. Also, one of the most well-versed people I've ever talked to. One of them was a children's book author. Um, and that doesn't fit the stereotype of a prisoner, right? But at the same time, I would have this conversation with an insight student and, you know, they seem like the nicest person ever. And, you know, you can't help but wonder what did they do to be in there? Just for them to eventually tell you, you know, I shot somebody. They robbed me with the only money that I had to feed my family. So I shot them. And in that moment in time, you don't want to admit that you empathize with somebody who could commit a crime like that, but you do. And I think that's really part of the criminal justice work is seeing that this isn't some crazy loose person that, you know, did, is a bad person because they did a bad thing. No, good people can do bad things. and. I almost don't even believe that there are bad people in a way without there being cause. I really believe in the ideology that hurt people hurt people. And I really got to see that firsthand within Inside Out. I like that. Jump in, Johnny. So kind of going back to the media and kind of what you said about the prisoners, I think the big problem with media and like the news is that they thrive off white lies in a way that they don't tell the full story and then amplify the part of the story they want to say. So like you just said, there could be a person that shot someone, but it was to protect themselves and with the, because of the money they had. But I bet the new story would be like, black man shot other man and then just don't give a, the reason why. Obviously, they, they wouldn't give the reason why. They have to make sure they amplify the color of their skin to create more views, and they never give the other person's side of the story on why. And I think that really sort of shows, like, say, for example, what Johnny and I really intend to do with our media degrees, because you know, part of learning and studying media is that you recognize the biases that are inherently existent in these institutions. But part of my mission is to create media and produce media that directly squashes these type of biases and creating media, specifically crime media, that can really humanize prisoners as well as show the realities of the system in a way that doesn't challenge sort of the already existent stigma, I guess. But also, you know, we really want to produce media that is productive, not counterproductive. And I think that's a really great way to intersect uh, criminal justice work and media. So now you guys have brought me to another question, and I'm just enjoying this conversation because I'm getting a chance to step into uh, what would have been for me 20-something years ago but your shoes as seniors in college and thinking about what I'm gonna do with this. So what are you intending? How are you intending to be a positive force in it sounds like a sea of potential negativity. So how are you intending to do this? Right, um, that's never an easy question to answer, but for starters, I will say that at some point in my time as a professional, once I enter um, the workforce, I really do want to work hands-on um, with the criminal justice system, um, whether that be writing um, about nonprofit work that's being done, whether that be working directly with at-risk groups, 
or the prison population. Uh, then as well, producing media that is related to criminal justice work that can educate people on the realities of, say, confinement or the bail system, things along those lines. Um, that would be my hope. I think it's not always easy to push yourself into that field because of a lot of ramifications of going against the system, I would say. But it would be my hope that I can use my knowledge of media to educate a public in a way that is productive and helpful for those who don't have the voice to do so. In my, in my eyes, in, in the world we live in, ignorance and negativity triumphs overall, which is very upsetting to see. So I think with a media studies background, I think it's <clears throat> almost, maybe not my job, but it is in my within my intentions to help bring out more of a positive outlook on the world we live in rather than all this hate and negativity. Every time you watch a news station, there's always something negative, something there's always something bad going on in the world and they love to amplify it rather than finding the good things going on in life. And I think that once people realize to stop and smile once in a while and until we do that, people are just gonna be jerks. And that's not the world I wanna live in. Above all, I think people really need to experience a sense of empathy. Yes. I think it's very easy for people to worry about themselves and their inner circle and completely forget that there are people that really need help and need to be assisted in whatever they're going through. And for me personally, it always ties back to people affected by the justice system. The criminal justice system really allows it so that like the prison population is the most neglected population of the entire country. And if we don't follow campaigns like say the reform project or cut 50 that work to reduce the prison population or work to you know better the conditions then nobody's going to and I think using media in a way can really assist in that as well as with our media studies background I'm sure you agree it we're taught we're taught how to point out biases in media that we consume and media that we produce we're taught how to construct media in a productive way so i think that really allows us to create meaningful material and content hmm. in a way that's not say you know somebody doing it from their basement right we have genuine experience that really works for the benefit of others if we so choose to do so. So what I'm hearing is that there's this opportunity that you will be embracing to both create um, responsible projects and be able to put those out. But as we're talking about that, my question now is sometimes we don't have the firsthand experiences. Sometimes these are not our stories. How are you able to em empathize if these are not your first-hand stories, if these are not your experiences, if these are not the experiences of your inner circle of your family. Talk to me about what that feels like. I do believe that empathy is inherent 
and existent within all of us. I do understand, though, that a lot of people have trouble connecting with that part of themselves. For me, it's never been difficult. And I don't mean that to be ingenuine of any sort. It's just simply what I was taught and the way I was raised. I never second-guessed anything about it. But it's a good point. You bring up, it's not my experience, so how do I discuss it? Well, I think, you know, levitating the voices of others is really where it starts. And providing the platform for others, say, you know, maybe interviewing people who are directly impacted by the criminal justice system. Because it's important you don't speak for others or you're not attempting to speak on somebody else's experience when you didn't personally experience it. You can't speak for others because the risk of not getting the story 100% correct is very dangerous. Because the moment you get something wrong, it's game over. You look like the bad person and right. you're and you're letting out fake news. So I think that's why, especially in today's day, to try to get stories that are happening now and not in the past where you can talk to that person and to make sure that you, you get their story out through their own voice. Right. And also providing it... Or Addressing it through a critical lens is also important. You know, not coming out there and saying that this is my opinion on something. It's, you know, using my professional background and my academic knowledge to specifically address social issues. You can't let out social issues from your own opinion. You can't have it without the facts. The, mo right. the moment you start blurbing out stuff with zero evidence behind it, that's another another sense of you're just leaving le almost letting out fake news you're 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 just saying what you want to say and there's nothing to it i love how you guys are really taking this um this perspective of being very responsible in how you move forward in media i think we've witnessed enough unresponsible yes type of media that you know that's that's part of our generation that really wants to see that change. I do believe like wholeheartedly that it's not always going to be so horrible in terms of media content relating to the justice system, at least as long as people like Johnny and I care enough to do something about it and change the narrative. That's perfect because I was going to end on the idea of story and narrative and you're doing it for me. So thank you so much, Summer. Thank, thank you, you, Johnny. I appreciate the conversation. And I know this is just one of many because there's a lot of work to be done. And I appreciate you guys are standing there doing it with me. So take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you take for care. having me on the mic. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer, Johnny Marquat, and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out and big thanks to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jackie Callanan and Raynette Shefu. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QUPodcast. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is qupodcast at qu.edu. On the next show, I'll be sitting down with Dr. Heron Gaston, minister and advocate. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.